Hi, my name is Jonathan. I am one of the pastors here at Heights, and we're so glad that you found us online. You know, at Heights, it is our desire to love and lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do that is by posting weekly content at all of the places, on Facebook and on YouTube, on Instagram. We even have our own website where we're constantly posting things as well. If you're checking us out for the first time, you can go to heightschurch.org connect and let us know that you found us. And once again, we're so glad that you're here. Soon. So Mark chapter 6, if you don't mind, let's stand again as we read uh, the Word of God. If you're able to stand with us, if you're not able to stand, just rise in spirit with us. Mark 6 verse 7, Mark writes, and he called the twelve and he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over all the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, verse 10, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you when you leave. Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And we believe that this is the people of, or the word of God that God has written for us, his people, so we may better love him and follow him. You may be seated. You know, I have a question I want to start out with you. Um, why in the world in 1872... Would a lady by the name of Lottie Moon, who was with the Southern Baptist Convention Mission Board, leave where she had grown up, leave her college, leave Virginia, go to northern China by herself, live in northern China for 40 years as a missionary, and got at the end of her life in such bad health that they literally had to drag her off the mission field and die in transit back to America, so left her home never to come back. Why would she do such a thing? Why do men and women right now sometimes go, you know what, I, 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 I'm going to leave my career, and I'm going to go be a missionary, or I'm going to go be a pastor? Why do sometimes people in churches go, you know what, I, I come to church, and I, I listen, and, and kind of like Tobias said, I'm, I'm here on a Sunday morning, but I feel called and, and led to lead a group, and I'm going to teach a life group. Why do people say, you know, I'm, I'm going to go work in the kids' ministry or student ministry? Why do some people give a portion of their income and tithing each week to advance the mission of the church? Why do people go on short-term mission trips? Why do people go out and do disaster relief through our disaster relief organizations? Why in the world do people do that? Because I think they understand this, that God uses his people to advance his mission. That's what God does. God uses his people to advance his mission. But here's the thing. As I was thinking about those questions, I was like, man, well, why do we do this? Here's the struggle. And maybe you find yourself struggling this way because here's the sin struggle that we're going to have in all of us today is the way we want to build our relationship with God is we want to build our relationship with God very, very transactionally. Okay, so hang with me on this. Transactionally means this. 
God, I'm going to obey. God, I'm going to do what you call me to do. God, I'm going to show up. God, I'm going to worship. God, I'm going to tithe. God, I'm going to serve. I'm going to do all those things, God. And therefore, because I tried to do it all the way you told me to do it, you owe me. And you owe me, you know, a, a good life. You owe me answers to my prayers. You owe me all these things because I've given to you. Now you need to give back to me. And so many people fall in that trap. You may be in that trap right now today, and you don't realize you're in it. But here's what happens. Anytime suffering gets introduced, anytime it gets a little harder, anytime there's a call to step out in faith and do something that God's called you to do, sometimes people go, whoa, 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 whoa hang on. That's not right. That's not fair because I've been good. And why in the world is God letting this happen to me right now? Why is he doing that? Why is he calling me here? This is hard, but I, I, I thought everything was going to be easy if I did everything right. And so what you've done is you've built your whole relationship with God transactionally. You just exchanged goods and services. A lot of times people do that with the church. All right, church, I'm going to come in. I'm going to sit, you know, if the music's good and, you know, student programming's good, you know, kid programming's good, preaching's passable, you know, it's all right. I'll be a part of the church, you know, as long as I'm getting something from you, I'll be here. But here's the thing. If you really want to know the blessings of being a Christian, you really want to find purpose in your life, you really want to know what it means to follow Jesus and find fulfillment and find happiness? It's this. It's lining your will right under God's will. It's coming under God and saying, God, I'm here to do what you call me to do. No questions asked. I'm here to advance your mission. And so when you line your heart up with God's heart, things change. And here's God's mission. Here it is. Here's real simple. Here's what the whole Bible is about. So I'm just going to summarize Genesis through Revelation right here in this like two sentences. And as Tobias said earlier, you can ask all the harder questions in life group. All right. So here's the whole Bible in a nutshell right here. The whole Bible is about this. God redeems sinful mankind back into himself through the person and work of Jesus. That's the Bible. All right, that's it. God redeems sinful mankind back unto himself through the person and work of Jesus. That's the whole story from Genesis through Revelation. But here's what God does in that whole story, and he's doing it still today. He uses men and women to advance his mission. He uses people to advance that very mission. And that's why in Mark chapter 6, I landed you right where I landed you, because you see for the first time Jesus sending out the 12 disciples. And here's what I want you to see this morning about being a sent person. All right, if you want to say, man, you know, am I, am I really on mission with God? Well, here's, here's just, I'm going to give you four characteristics of what it means to be a person who is sent by Jesus. Number one is this, a sent person knows who sent them. All right, a, a sent person knows who sent them. All right, let's pick up verse seven. Jesus called the 12 and he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over all the unclean spirits. All right, so if you want to say, hey, am I somebody that's sent today by Jesus? A sent person knows 
who sent them. Notice right in verse 7, it says, and he called the 12. All right, now who are the 12 disciples? Well, you've already met some of them. Mark chapter 1, you got the calling of Peter and Andrew. They were, they were brothers. They were fishermen. Then you got James and John, who are also called. James and John were brothers. They were fishermen. They're partners with Peter and Andrew. All right, and so they had been following John the Baptist up to this point because they had been looking for the Messiah. All right, they'd been praying for that. They'd been researching the Old Testament scriptures, and they knew the Messiah was coming. So they'd been following John the Baptist. They leave John the Baptist because Jesus calls them to follow him. All right, so you got James, Andrew, Peter, and John, chapter 1. Chapter 2 is Matthew, the tax collector, who's called. And he calls him to follow, you know, he, he says, hey, leave behind your business. You're going to come follow me. Matthew says, all right. Mark chapter 3, you've got the list. All right, and so then Mark in chapter 3, he lists out the 12. But who are the 12? Well, let me tell you who they're not. They're not PhDs. They're not CEOs. They're not wealthy people. They're not popular people. They're everyday people. They're fishermen. They're tax collectors. One of them in the bunch is one of like your friends who watches way too much cable news TV shows and he sends all those email links out to you of YouTube videos. Anybody got one? All right. Like, hey, watch this. Watch this. You hear this about the government? Did you hear this happening? He, he's that guy. He's called Simon the Zealot, which the zealots at that point were the radical political people who wanted to overthrow the Roman Empire. All right. So this is the group. You got fishermen, tax collectors, and a political right-wing kind of nut at the time, right? That's them. I label them this way. They're the original dirty dozen. That's who they are. They're, before Lee Marvin, they're the dirty dozen. That's who they are. And Jesus says, I'm going to call you. But notice also he sends them out two by two. And the reason he sends them out two by two is this is the custom of the day, the law of the day, where you need an eyewitness to verify that something's happened. But then notice also something else is really important. So he calls them, he sends them, and he gives them authority. He gave them authority over unclean spirits and demons. And you and I need to remember something real important about this spot right here. And as a believer in Jesus Christ today, you have authority to give a message of hope and a ministry of hope. And that authority, not given by me, is given by Jesus right to you. Bookmark Mark chapter 6, if you've got a Bible open. And let's turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you've got your iPhone open, you can just click right over. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Those of you at home worshiping with us, do the same. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Because what you see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is what, I mean, I hope you walk out of this with on your heart. I'm going to give you a quick outline of verses 18 through 20 here. And when you understand who you are in Christ and you understand the authority you have, it's going to absolutely change the way you think about the mission God's given you. All right, verse 18, Paul writes, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So here, let me give you this outline, all right? Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, this is all of you, Paul's saying, all right? So he's saying, use guys if you're north of the Mason-Dixon line, or y'all if you're from south of the Mason-Dixon line, all right? So we're just going to be super inclusive on that this morning. So he says, all of this is from God. You have, number one, a ministry. All of you. You have a ministry. That ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. What's your life about? Your life's about helping people come to God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, because that's what the whole Bible's about, right? So you got a ministry. What's number two? Number two, you got a message. And here's the message of reconciliation. Verse 19, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And then number uh, three, you have authority, right? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. All of you, you're an ambassador for Jesus today. You represent the king. Everywhere you go, everything you do, you represent King Jesus as a believer, all times. Yeah, I, I thought about it this way, um, we, you might have some of those love and lead t-shirts out, right? And, and you wear those love and lead t-shirts out in public like I do. And, and when you wear that love and lead t-shirt out, you, you might be out at Kroger. You may be down at Joe's Barbecue, wherever you are out on the ball field. You, when you wear that love and lead t-shirt, you, you represent our church. I mean, you, you represent our church at that time. You're, you're clothed in that sense, representing our church. Everywhere you go, you, you have it, right? Some people have asked me, hey, can we get those little bumper sticker decals on our car that says Heights Baptist? I'm like, no way, man. I've been behind some of y'all driving. Ain't no way that's happening, right? <laughs> nope. But every time you put on a Love and Lead t-shirt, you represent our church wherever you go. You're clothed in our shirt. But understand this, and this is even more important. Everywhere you go, everything you do, you as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And you represent Jesus at all times. So Paul's saying just what Jesus is saying. You have authority as a believer in Christ. You are a sent person called by God with God's authority. You have a ministry of reconciliation. You have a message of reconciliation. You have the authority to have a ministry and a message to share with others. Now let's go back to Mark chapter 6, because in Mark 6, we see that God uses his people to advance his mission. And so a sent person knows who sent them. But let me give you the second characteristic of a sent person. Right? And it's this, a sent person always relies on the Lord. Right? So if you're sitting there this morning and say, man, am I on mission with God? Is this me? All right. Do you know who sent you, number one? And are you relying on the Lord? Because a sent person always relies on the Lord. Let's pick up in verse 8. It says, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, 
all right, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics, all right? So notice this. Jesus is saying, guys, you're going to go out, and this is what you're going to do, all right? Oh, yeah, by the way, this is not what you're going to take. This is what you can take, but don't take these things. Now, that instruction there, it really has some background to it, because you might look at it and go, why in the world is Jesus doing this? Like, he's telling them to go out with, like, hardly anything. That's the exact same instructions, though, that God gave the people of Israel on the night they fled out of Egypt. God says, hey, when you guys are leaving Pharaoh right now, and you're about to flee, and you're about to go out to where I send you, here's what you're going to take, and here's not what you're going to take. So what did God do with the people of Egypt, or people of Israel, all back that time, all through those wilderness years? He gave them what they needed. They had to learn to rely on the Lord. So Jesus has given these Jewish disciples the exact same instructions. This is what you're going to take. This isn't what you're going to take. And you got to learn to rely on me. But here's where the rubber meets the road when it comes to God calling you to do something. And when he calls me to do something. Because I don't know if you've ever been in the spot I've been in. But God will sometimes say, hey, Lee, you're going to go do this. You're going to go talk to this person. You're going to step out in faith and do this. And then when he calls, I got a million questions. Anybody else? Right? But God, what about this? What about this? And what about this? And how's this going to happen? How are you going to work this out? How do we? And, and then I'm off to the races in the questions. And here's where the rubber meets the road in following God. All he wants you to do is take step one. When you take step one, he gives you step two. You take step two, he gives you step three. And all he's asking you to do is take step one. You don't have to know the whole plan before you say yes to the plan because the one who has the plan is the one you can trust with the plan. <laughs> you don't have to have it all worked out. God's just saying Put your yes on the table. So this morning, for some of you, what's that look like? What is God calling you to do right now where you're like, God, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how you're going to supply. I don't know what you're going to do. And all God's doing is saying, put the yes on the table. Rely on me. Because that's what a sent person does. They know who sent them. They know who to rely on. But number three, a sent person doesn't seek their comfort as their first priority. Right? A sent person doesn't seek their comfort as their first priority. All right? They don't seek their comfort first. So let's pick up in verse 10. And he said, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Right? Whenever you enter a house, he says. All right, so you guys are going to go out. You, you know who sent you. You're going to rely on me. I'm going to give you what you need. But when you enter into somebody's house, you need to stay there. All right? that, that's going to be a person of peace, so to speak. They're going to supply for you. I'm going to use them uh, to meet your needs, and you stay there. So a sent person doesn't seek their comfort as their first priority. The principle Jesus is saying is that is this. He's telling those disciples, listen, you might go stay down at Tim's house and and, you know, Tim's got some basic living things that he needs. You know, he's not, not a real wealthy guy, but he's, he's got decent accommodations. And I'm going to use Tim to, 
supply what you need. But, but along the, the way, you may, you may learn about Bob down the street. And Bob's got a pool. And Bob's got Wi-Fi. And Bob's got Netflix. Don't leave Tim's to go to Bob. Right? Motel 6 will do, guys. You don't need the Ritz-Carlton. Right? And, and, and here's the thing. With a lot of Christians nowadays, we think we need Ritz-Carlton when Motel 6 and serving the Lord is just fine. Let me give you an example. This is one of the most powerful times of worship I've ever had in my life. We were on a mission trip, a short-term mission trip, uh, to Trujillo, Peru. And uh, what was happening is we were working with a local church in Trujillo. And I, I love the strategy. I love what this church was doing. But what they were doing is they were starting a church and starting a mission work at the base of the mountain. And so at the base of the mountain, outside of the city, what was happening is people in the mountain, living up in the mountains, they couldn't survive up in the mountains, so they were moving down to the valley. They were living in the base of this mountain, and, and they were really squatting on the government's land. It was the government's land, but what they did, and literally, it's the worst poverty I've ever seen in my life, it was a tent city. I mean, cardboard houses, tents everywhere, there's about three, four hundred of them, no running water, no power. And so what they were doing is they were moving down, and they were squatting on the land, and then they were trying to find day jobs in the city. So the government was coming back to them and said, okay, if you can build a little one-room house, we'll deed you that property, and eventually we'll run power out to you. Now, when I say build, don't think about the building of the houses you see around here. When I say they built their own house, this was they made mud-type houses out of the land that was right there, type build a house, okay? And so what this church in Trujillo was doing was literally they were starting a church in the middle of that tent city. And so what our team would do during the day, and we did this for about a week, we'd go around, and we'd have an interpreter, and we'd go through the day, and we'd talk to people and say, hey, you know, that night we're going to uh, go and, and have services and, and come. And so, you know, we do that every day. And that night we'd come and we'd load up the church van. It'd be our team, that church's team, the one guy who could play guitar, the one microphone, and the one speaker, all right, all ran by a generator. And we had a couple little lights. We'd get out there and we're on the base of this mountain. I mean, no buildings, nothing, right under the stars. And I mean, I'm going to tell you what, seven nights in a row, we had church, right? I mean, we saw people come to know Christ left and right. I mean, it was amazing. And here's what it reminded me of. We don't need all this. All this isn't necessary to do what God calls us to do. We don't always have to have Ritz-Carlton in our life as believers in Jesus. It's not first and foremost about our comfort. It's about the mission of God. And sometimes that's going to be uncomfortable. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes you got to go, man, this is just really tough. But Lord, you've called me, you've commissioned me, you've given me authority, you've given me provision, and I'm going to go no matter the cost. Because here's the thing, and finally, a sent person stays on mission. That's what it's about. A sent person keeps on keeping on, right? So, so they know who sent them. They're relying on the Lord. They don't seek their, their comfort first, right? And they stay on mission. Let's pick up in verse 11. 
said, if any place will not receive you and they'll not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now I want you to notice the sent person is going to stay on mission. Now verse 11 is a verse that, whew, what in the world's going on? Because Jesus says, look, if you go out and a place doesn't receive you, they don't listen to you, you leave, shake off the dust, all right? And, and that's their, your testimony against them. Right? What in the world's happening there? And it's this. What would happen if pious Jews traveled into a Gentile territory and they come back from that Gentile territory, that foreign land, they would take literally their robes and they would shake off the dust. And they'd shake off the dust of their feet. And what they were saying is, essentially, that you're under the judgment of God. We, we reject you not as the people of God. All right? That's what it meant by just shaking off the dust. Now, you have to understand, this context their scope of the time they are with Jesus ministering is limited. We know it's going to be limited to about three years. And so Jesus is saying, look, you, you got to move quick. you got to move fast. If there's a spot that's not listening to you and rejecting you, shake them off. Keep on moving. Keep on going. But what about us? Do we shake off the dust of people we've shared the gospel with and they didn't receive? Because some of you You've got a spouse you've been married to for a long time. You've got a grown child now. You may have a grandchild. You may have a friend. And I mean, you, you've tried. You've tried for five years, 10 years, 15 years. You've been in prayer. You haven't seen them come to know Christ yet. How do you take that verse and apply it? Is God calling you to shake off the dust and, and literally, literally just say, hey, you're I'm done. I'm done trying. I'm, I'm going to shake the dust off, and, and you're under the judgment of God, and that's just where I'm going to leave you? Man, those are hard questions, aren't they? How do you know when to keep going? Or how do you know when to say, I, I've done all I can do? You know, let me answer it this way. I don't know. I don't know. But as I was sitting and I was thinking through that this week and I was praying, I was reminded of a story that, uh, about a man named George Mueller. George Mueller had uh, five friends he committed to pray for starting in 1844. After about first 18 months, first friend came to know Christ. Three years later, second friend came to know Christ. Five years later, number three and number four came to know Christ. There's that fifth guy that's still kind of out there. You know who that fifth guy is. You got him in your mind and heart right now. You know who it is. 52 years later, after George Mueller passed away, that friend came to know Christ. He prayed for that man for 52 years up to his last breath. So I can't tell you when you shake the dust off of somebody and you say, I'm done, I'm not going to share the gospel with you. But I know this, as I was reminded of that story, I, mean, I, I really want to have the heart and the compassion and the determination of a George Mueller. Say, boy, I'm not going to give up to my last breath to hope to see you come to know Christ. And so that, that's our, one of our values at here at Heights is to be a church that shares. 
not to just be people who know good news, but share good news, all right? So we want to be a sharing church because that's what we see in the Gospels, all right? We're, we're recounting these good things God's done for us. So that's why we encourage you to have a four-by-four four plan, all right? So a four-by-four four plan is pretty simple to, to understand what it is. It's this, find four people that don't know Christ, all right, in your life, that you, whoever they may be, find four, all right? You pray for them, you invite them, and you share with them, all right? So you find your four you invite your four, you pray for your four, you share the gospel with your four, and you just keep on doing that. You might say this morning, I don't have four I know, I have three, I have two, I have one, I have five like George Mueller. Great. Just be intentional about inviting, praying, and sharing for those who know, need Christ. Because notice the message in which they share. And this is the message in which we share. Verse 12, they went out and proclaim that people should repent. Okay? So a, 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 a sent person, they stay on mission. In verse 12, that message is this. You need to repent. You should need to turn from your sin and turn to God. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is really easy to understand. Repentance is really hard to do. <laughs> so repentance, easy to understand. You turn from something, a sin. You turn to somebody, God. That's repentance, all right? I'm going to turn from this sin. I don't want this sin anymore. Whatever I've done, I shouldn't have done. I don't want to do it. Or I need to repent of something I should have done that I didn't do. And so I'm going to turn from that, and I'm going to turn to God. So I'm turning from something, turning towards someone. That's repentance. That's what we share. That's the message of the Bible. You turn from sin, you turn back to God. And so that's the message they continue to preach, that we continue to preach. Then let me ask you then, what do you need to repent of today? What's there something in your life you're doing you need to stop doing? That's a sin against God. What's something you're not doing you need to start doing in order to obey God? All right, so what do you need to repent of? Because I want you to see all through this text that God uses his people to advance his mission. That's what he does. He uses people to advance his mission. But before we leave chapter 6, let me just ask one last question. If you look at the flow of chapter 6 with me, okay? So get your iPhone back out, open your Bible if you've closed it. Just, just look at something with me because there's something here that Mark does where I'm like, Mark, why in the world did you do this? In verses 1 through 6, Jesus is rejected in Nazareth, right? So hometown boy is not hometown hero. They run him out of town. All right, we don't want you here, Jesus. Verses 7 through 13, you have the calling and the sending of the 12 disciples. Verses 14 through 29, you have the death of John the Baptist. And so what had been happening is John the Baptist had been preaching against the king. There was a sin in the king's life that he was committing and not repenting of. And John was saying, hey, king, you got to get right. He, got, he throws John the Baptist in prison, and now John the Baptist is killed. Verses 14 through 29. Verses 30 through 32, the disciples return. And they tell Jesus, verse 30, all that they'd done, all that they taught. And there's kind of like a, a party in verses 30 through 32 of, of, hey, God sent us out to advance his mission, and it worked. And people came to you know, faith, and man, we just saw all these awesome things happen. Why did Mark stick John the Baptist right in the middle of that. Isn't that weird? 
I mean, you get the calling of the 12, verses 7 through 13, the sending. Then verses 30 through 32, you get the party, you get them called back, and they're, they're rejoicing. But right in the middle of that, you got the beheading of John the Baptist. Why is Mark doing that? I think it's this. Number one, I think it's a reminder to us that nothing will stop the advancement of the gospel. That even the death of John the Baptist didn't slow down the work of God. That you and I need to remember today that no one and no government can ever shut us down. There's no way that's going to happen. God's mission is going to advance. God's gospel is going to go out. It always finds a way to happen. But number two, you and I need to remember this. Following Jesus is not always easy, but it is always worth it. Following Christ isn't always easy. It's going to cost you at times, but it is always worth it. And so you and I imagine something for a moment. Imagine more and more people out advancing the mission of God. What happens when more and more Christians say, Lord, I'm just going to put the yes on the table to be a sent person. Whatever you call me to do, I'm going to do. Because I'm going to know who sent me. I'm going to know wherever you call me to go. Whatever you call me to do, you're going to give me what I need. And Lord, I'm going to stay on mission with you. What happens when more men and women and teenagers and boys and girls do that? I'm going to tell you what happens. People's lives start changing. And the more and more people's lives start changing, the more communities start changing. You're going to see things like divorce rates drop. Crime rates drop, spousal abuse rates drop, child abuse rate drops, gun violence drops. You're going to see people's lives fundamentally change all throughout communities, all throughout homes, all throughout schools. All that then is going to go into a nation and a world. So then one day, may it be said of our generation and the generation behind us, what was said about the Christians in Acts 17, verse 6, that these men and women turned this world upside down. Listen, if we want to see that change and that world turn upside down, that means you and I need to put a yes on the table and say, God, whatever you call us to do, we're going to do as people that you're going to use to advance your mission.